Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I realize I'm all about hope and I'm all about the pursuit of good. You do say something like the world needs beauty and that's one of our greatest gifts. The point of life is that you just do your best because you know that eventually it will end. But while you're here, the whole point is to contribute. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF Podcast. This week, we have a very special conversation between our editor-at-large, Tim Blanks, and the celebrated American Paris-based designer, Rick Owens. One of my favorite things about Fashion Week over the past few years has been to listen to Tim and Rick speak backstage before Rick's show. And so, because Fashion Week is not happening, we thought, well, the conversation can still happen, And so we can give you a little peek into what it's like to be a fly on the wall listening to two great thinkers speak about fashion and its future. Here's Tim Blanks and Rick Owens, Inside Fashion. Today we're talking to Rick Owens. Um, This time time of year, Rick and I would normally be backstage before his show having an espresso. <laughs> so that's what we're doing today. It's a, it's a digital cafe clash, right? Some things just don't change. Some things will remain eternal, Tim. Our coffee, our pre-show coffee. Obviously, um, since we last talked, um, not really even four months ago, the entire world changed. And it's really interesting. I remember we were talking about uh, the coronavirus. And you said to me, do you think this is the big one? And at that time, obviously, we didn't really have any idea of what was 
coming down the turnpike. But what do you think? Um, what, what have been what have been what have been your your feelings for the last few months? Uh, well, I mean, with with all due respect to everybody who who um, was under tremendous stress. Um, uh, we had um, the luxury of having enough space and enough trees to be able to ride out the quarantine in Paris. <clears throat> and, um, and it felt like a reset. Um, the other thing that my, my, my first, my first thought though, was that it, with all of the contention and all of the ecological um, threats that we have going on, that we've had going on for so long, um, it's a miracle that something hasn't happened sooner. And we haven't, we have lived this generation without a, um, without a world war. I mean, uh, generations before us have certainly been through um, huge disasters. Um, and in a world full of contentious people, sometimes, um, it's, it's, it just seemed like, a, it was almost a sense of relief. Is, is that a terrible thing to say? But it was almost like, okay, something happened. I mean, it was bound to happen. Something was bound to happen and it's happened. And how are, and, and other people have survived um, this kind of disaster before or, or, or similar um, hardships. And how is this generation gonna, I mean, we're gonna survive somehow um, altered um, but how do we get through this gracefully? Um, do you want to see where I am actually? Look. Yeah. Just to set the tone where I'm like, Oh my God, you're in Venice. This is where I landed. Now, when you said, when you said you'd been at the beach, you had just been at the beach. Literally. Yeah. 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 I just came upstairs. Yeah, and then I'm probably going to go back after, right after this. Um, I, I, I kind of thought about just doing this from the beach, but um, the, the sound wouldn't be good. So. Um, but anyway, isol isolation in Paris in our house was, was not, um, certainly, it wasn't a hardship. Um, and I have nothing to, to complain about. And we had, um, it was, it was, it was, this, it was a time to reflect. And there was obvious threat outside the door, which only made us appreciate and be more grateful for everything that we had and to be able to have some time to kind of focus on it. And um, I thought um, my responsibility in, in what I do is to, is to be part of an aesthetic voice of this generation, which sounds really lofty when, I, when it comes out of my mouth, but it, it, it's kind of true. So. Um, I felt um, this is not my this is not the night before my runway show. This is this is science's moment, um, and all of the people in relief efforts. Um, so my responsibility was to study and to absorb. Um, no, to study to study as much as I could, so that when my turn to contribute came, I would be ready. Um, and that's what I did. I just, 
um, concentrated on absorbing as much information, um, aesthetic information, that would serve me, that would nourish me or serve me in the future, uh, collecting <clears throat> thoughts and inspirations and aesthetic history. Um, and that was my focus. Um, and I hesitate to say that it was a really beautiful thing. And it was almost more beautiful because there was a poignant side to not knowing whether I would ever be able to exercise any of this information or, or use it um, in the future. But that's, it doesn't matter. I mean, the point of life is that you just do your best um, because you know that eventually it will end. But while you're here, the whole point is to um, contribute and participate as best that you can. Um, so that was my focus during quarantine. When you say you were collecting this aesthetic information, where were you collecting it from? What were you collecting? Books, mainly books. Any specific kind um, of place? Or? I, I, I was studying. I was studying people like E. W. Godwin, the furniture designer, who who had who I'd never realized was such an important part of the ascetic movement and the pre-Raphaelites. And I'd originally just started noticing him because of all the Aubrey Beardsley furniture. Um, and then I found like in, in, all of, in a lot of Aubrey Beardsley prints, um, there's this kind of unique spindly furniture. And then somehow I found out it was kind of, it, it all was E.W. God, Godwin. And then I looked him up and started researching him. And then his connection was with the aesthetic movement. Um, I, I, I just, I didn't, I hadn't realized um, how important he was. Um, and then he, then that led me down the rabbit hole of, of he had been collected by um, um, Doucet, Jacques Doucet. Is it Jacques Doucet? Yeah, Jacques Doucet, the um, French designer who we really don't know that much about his clothes. Um, but he was such an amazing, his collection, he, he, he was the one that originally bought um, Picasso's Le, um, Le Demoiselle d'Avignon um, and Rousseau and um, and the first Eileen Grays. I mean, his collection is like the catalyst of, of all of all of the some of the most important things that we look at today. Um, and I remember going to the Saint Laurent Foundation because they did a show on Jacques Doucet's art collection, and um, it's just really impressive all of the stuff that he had that he collected. He just um, and then when you compare it with his clothes, because his clothes were a little bit conventional, but his collection was um, the most avant-garde of the avant-garde. I don't know, I don't know how that happened, but um, he had an original eye. He really did. It's spectacular. But you know, uh, are you are you thinking right now when you? when you were doing your aesthetic um, kind of harvesting. You know, we've talked a lot about the, uh, the period that you felt was a huge influence on you when you were in your most formative years, which was, um, I think you described them as um, 
have to write it down. Uh, black and white, um, by black and, silent black and white Bible epics. And yeah. uh, I love the fact you said, you told somebody, you told one of your interviewers, one of your inquisitors, that you would watch Alan Nazimova's Salome in bed in the morning with Rudolf Valentino, with one of the co-stars in that. And I saw that in your exhibition in London. I watched that, um, I watched that, that, that was screened in your exhibition. And you know, it's so interesting that that was all being produced out of the mood that was created by World War I. And that all of that, all of that intense sort of hyper, I, I don't want to say decadent, but hyper sort of uh, acute asceticism was a reaction to global catastrophe. And I'm just wondering if you feel we're in a similar situation now that we might see, and you could easily be a sort of leader in this kind of movement, if we might see a similar kind of hyper aestheticism, a sort of very refined, um, very sort of creativity or, 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 or bust response to the, the current crisis. Well, now that you're talking about it, it, it seemed like it was an explosion of sens sensuality. Um, and transgression as well. Well, sensuality just kind of borders on transgression anyway, especially, well, during that time, especially. Um, and I've always, I've, I've always been kind of fascinated by Art Nouveau because it's kind of foreign to me. It's, it's, um, there's tremendous appeal in, in, in the whole collapse to it. It, 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 it really is about giving into your id and about, about a morbid collapse kind of. Um, and I I've been thinking about fashion as a reaction to um, wars. And um, I hadn't really been thinking that much about that particular example. I was, I was thinking, I was thinking about Dior too. I was thinking about Dior um, after the war being a reaction and being a um, an explosion of opulence after deprivations. Um, and when we look at it from the, from from this generation, it seems it seems very obvious and very first degree. And I'm not sure if it was at the time because it was an obvious, um, it was almost, it, it was almost offensive because people had been um, under so much hardship and, and yardage, just, just fabric yardage, just, it was, it, it was so, um, <clears throat> um, rationed. And then to have this the explosion of longer skirts with you know forty meters of using forty meters of fabric, there was that was transgressive, and um, and just that. But people responded to it. It could have been so offensive that people would would have rejected it, but instead they embraced it. And I kind of wonder why, because it does seem like it would have been offensive, and there must have been. 
the way it was done and that gesture at that time in history, there must it must have been perceived somehow as wit um, or as um, a bold gesture that, that, you know, sometimes it can teeter on ridiculous or grotesque or it can end up on the side of chic and people decided it was chic. Because um, it's hard to imagine that, that um, something that first degree would have worked. Anyway, that kind of that kind of example would not work now, obviously, under these conditions, because I think there's a I think there is a underlying suspicion that we brought this on ourselves and um, something as self-congratulatory as opulence after this just wouldn't work. But um, but complete minimalism and um, um, guilt isn't really going to work either. Um, if you look at that example, you would think that this, during this period, fashion after this would become very um, conservative and uh, modest. And I think that with information ricocheting back and forth so much now, I think people have already gone through the period of um, of modesty and, and maybe they're all, maybe they are ready for opulence again already. I'm not really sure. I wonder if, you know, I wonder if the word is indulgence because obviously England has been on lockdown and the weather is gorgeous right now. And I just, there was a news flash that there's been a state of emergency declared in South England because the beaches have been flooded with thousands and thousands of people and the local authorities can't handle it. So they've declared a state of emergency. So I'm wondering, you know, it's that sort of polarity. We have the incredible, the lockdown where people were very, very obedient and followed uh, the guidelines they were given, um, bar a few of our um, leaders, <laughs> a few people who, a uh, few people who considered they were above the law and disobeyed the, the regulations, which of course has unhinged people as well to think that they can do it. And, and then there comes the moment where they can actually be free and they just go boom in the other direction. And the new look is kind of a, is kind of a nice is sort of symbol of that, of that reaction to restriction, you know. And I, People, I, I think you can't resist the sun and being outside because that just feels healthy. And I think um, nobody can um, nobody can feel that that's an indulgence. I mean, I think I, I, I think just your instinct tells you that that's what you're supposed to do. Um, the other thing I was thinking about though, when it, regarding fashion, though, was one of the things that I've really liked for the past five years is that people are talking about responsibility. And that didn't used to be a part of the conversation before, that's recent. The idea of responsibility when it comes to luxury. Um, and just that in itself is a tremendous stride. And it has become, uh, it has become a gimmick. Um, sustainability and transparency has become a gimmick that a lot of people are, um, on a bandwagon about, but if it's, even if it's a gimmick, so what? It's a great gimmick. 
Um, so let it be a gimmick because I mean, if 3% of it works, that's, that's still a good thing. So, um, um, so we're having this conversation about responsibility and then something terrible happens and afterwards, um, responsibility is going to be an even stronger, um, direction. I think it has to be. Um, so somewhere there is going to be some kind of witty responsibility. Um, whoever can do it in a witty way is going to win. Um, I haven't figured it out yet, <laughs> but I'm working on it. <laughs> I, I would say, um, you know, it's interesting, but I, I was reading back. We have had some really penetrating conversations over the last decade or so. And this is where I was so happy we could do this because I knew I was going to miss, um, miss that, that, that talk this season. But your commentary has got more and more pointed over the years. You, you've, you've gone from talking about living and working in a bubble to being a lot more engaged. And even down to those last two collections, the last men's and the women's collections, ironically feeling like they anticipated in a strange way, in an eerie way, where we are now, where you where you would be saying bigotry is my bet noir. What I would say, what is my bet noir? Bigotry. Bigotry, bigotry is your right. bigotry. Where you felt compelled and comfortable making your collections a comment, a rebuttal to bigots. Well, I felt it was responsibility. Yeah, they, we were just saying responsibility, yeah. yeah. And I mean, right now we are living in a situation where, which has been considerably worsened by bigotry and by um, ignorance and by greed and, self and, and um, selfishness. Um, Isn't it amazing how it's gotten this far? I would have thought it would have been so blatantly apparent and grotesque that something that, I mean, and it's so obvious and we've all, so many people have recognized it and, and spoken about it, that, that somehow it would have, there would have been enough of a reaction so far, but maybe it just hasn't gone far enough. Um, maybe we're still waiting for the bigger, for a bigger reaction. I'm not sure. Or a bigger, a bigger challenge even. The big one, the and, bigger yet, and yet a bigger challenge. You know, that when you say, "Is this yeah. a big one?" and we weren't sure if, it was, if 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 this was a big one, we still don't know. We're still kind of horns of uncertainty. But at the same time, you you do say you you do say something like, "The world needs beauty," and that's one of our greatest gifts while we're here. So, beauty and play are one of life's greatest rewards i mean when you um when your survival is somehow um under control when you have when you have enough food and you have enough shelter um the next the next thing to do is play um and adorning oneself and communicating through the way you look is a um it's it's an ancient ritual um, so, and it's an important part of communication. 
Um, it's, it's one of our methods of communication. So yeah, it's essential. And you know, when people are talking about our fashion shows over, um, I really, I no, um, they'll always be there in one way or another. Um, I think balls in like, um, you know, in the 17th century were a version of a fashion show. I mean, they were, they were people gathering together um, and adorning themselves and in subtle ways communicating with indicators. Um, so that's never going to go away. And especially when there are analysts like, like you who um, analyze the way people present themselves and, um, and, and, you know, in, in the fashion world, there's a couple of people that analyze things in, in the most beautiful, cultivated way. And I'm trying to think of how many there are other than you. And I'm not. Well, it's I'm very not, sweet to say that. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, no, you totally deserve it, Tim. You totally do. Like, and that's, that's, that's why I'm here. I mean, I, I um, you know, I don't really like to explain myself that much because either you get it or you don't and that's fine it's it's kind of there's no amount of explaining i can do that's going to make you appreciate my stuff i mean it really has to it, it just has to work on first impact i mean my explanation is not going to be there when somebody's in a store looking um you know among thousands of racks uh, my explanation is not going to be something that convinces somebody to buy my black skirt so, um, but, um, like I've always said, going through these things with you and it, it's great because a lot of times you kind of, you kind of touch on something that I kind of hadn't realized I was doing. Um, and when you mention it, it hits a chord and, um, there's like a, there's a little jolt of recognition that, that, um, um, and sometimes I wonder, am I just agreeing with something that, like an, analysis that I liked that I appreciated and I, I don't think so I think I'm, I'm agreeing with um I think I'm recognizing something that I might have not um been able to put into words maybe so much um uh that, ways, it, 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 uh -huh. it, it, I'm saying things to you you're saying things to me so it's a completely it's a complete yeah. dialogue. I mean, and that's a conversation, and that's what fashion is. I mean, in the most subtle ways, that that is exactly what fashion is. We're 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 telling people things and we're about ourselves, and um, and it's not always about status or um, or beauty. Sometimes sometimes it, it, there are more subtle indicators, and it, it's about how to live life in a dignified way, maybe, or how to um, or kind of suggesting values as some other people might agree with. Um, so yeah, I fashion's great. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosa 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O 
O-L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O, soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you about survival because we were talking about, when we talked about survival before, it was in a sort of, oh, how do, how do you create a, a sort of a, a kind of image bank that uh, resists the instant, the immediate sort of gratification of, of Instagram, how do you create something which is more thoughtful and provocative and so on? But now survival means something different. So now survival is obviously a lot more, it's a, it's a much more primal issue in the light of what's happening now. So how do you envisage survival now for yourself? Um, how, I mean, part of that is how important were your shows as a mode of communication? I mean, where will you 
create that impact. Now. Well, the last shows that you were talking about, I was I was thinking, just going back to that, I was I was just thinking about. Um, um, well, Tim's not here to analyze this, so I have to do it myself. Um, <laughs> With and I, I was looking at those shoulders, and I was thinking, where, what was what was the deal with those? Why was why did those shoulders just feel so right to me? And I was thinking, um, you know, shoulders have always been about power, um, but these shoulders were um, they were more borderline ridiculous. And I realized it was defiance. Those shoulders were about a defiance um, in in the face of threat. Something that's always kind of fascinated me and. And to connect the dots, kind of like when I was in quarantine, um, I gravitated towards. I started listening towards to um, my some of my the endings of my favorite operas, um, Salome and Electra by Richard Strauss. And those endings, the finales. Like, first of all, I mean the whole story. The storylines of both of them are just people mis people having a sense of urgency in the most misguided directions. Um, and then in the end, you know, everything falls apart and they then, and they, they have this transcendent orgy of emotions and then die. And somewhere I was thinking out and after, after quarantine, I was thinking, I wonder, um, I was kind of thinking about endings and and the most defiant, the most glorious way to to do that, and how um, and that's kind of what why I was focusing on these operas because it felt like well, if this is an ending, what's the best way to do it? Who how has it been done right? Um, and that I was kind of um, kind of studying that. Um, I was also reading um, Edmund White uh, for some reason. I just started reading it. There was that book, Unfinished Symph Symphony, about, um, about um, his lover's death and, and how they negotiated that and how they dealt with that. And... Um, and it all it all kind of tied together. How do people get through um, endings? I've been reading Paul Monette, which is very com very compatible to Edmund White. Did you ever read um, Andrew Holleran's Dancer from the Dance? I, I never did, but I know. I oh, oh my God, you have to read that. I mean, we might be too old now. I mean, that was kind of a formative book um, in my earlier years, but uh, I, that was always. Um, that was rapturous doom. It was just, the whole thing was doom, but in the most rapturous, transcendent way. Um, I probably learned a lot from that book. Actually, you, you did say one of the last times we talked, I romanticized doom. I do. And that's part of my, that's what I've been doing for a long time, but it's not new. I mean, that's, um, I think, a lot of Art Nouveau was about that. A, a lot of Art Nouveau was, it was about a somber, um, decadent descent into doom. Um, and after that world war, I, I think maybe that was a way of coping. Um, 
um, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've been romanticizing doom a lot. Well, I wonder when you said the shoulders were about power, I was kind no, of- they weren't about power. I realized they were about defiance. It wasn't about, well, but power, yeah, to a certain extent it was, yeah. You also called that show Performer. And yeah. I thought the shoulders were about performance because, you know, Joan Crawford entered a room, basically like a stegosaurus in a way. I mean, they were like Betty Davis and Joan, Joan Crawford were like the dinosaurs in an Edward, in an Edward, um, in an Edward, Ray Harryhausen movie, you know, that sort of um, competitive, uh, that competitive dinosaurian bulk. I mean, that, that was in those, that was in those movies that you love as well. That's yeah, dinosaurian. Of... I'm going to use that word a lot. Dinosaurian. <laughs> dinosaurian. Well, you know, Goethe Demerung, Twilight <laughs> of the God. We're kind of there, aren't we? Um, I, I have uh, one thing that, that, I mean, you give good quotes. You really do. I, I, I hope that there's, uh, there is that one day that you're, you're, there's, a, there's a book of um, Owen's isms because uh, they're so instructive. Well, I've seen an Instagram. Um, there's an Instagram, what do you call it? Um, feed called Rick Owen's quotes, I think. And it's, it's, and I've gone to, I've looked at it. And um, yeah, I, yeah, something's kind of turned out good. Well, you know, you say defiance, and I think defiance is very important. And I think it's something that um, has come into the, the collections in a different way, because I think there's always been a defiance. You've, you know, even defying bigotry, defying orthodoxy, defying narrow-mindedness. I mean, these things that you've done really well, but the sense now, the last few collections, where you embrace glamour, and you talk about Kansai Yamamoto's clothing for David Bowie, and, and, you, and you, you actually said, I, you just didn't have that much to lose anymore. That it, it was kind of like a, a, complete, a statement of complete liberation, like you felt that you were at a stage in your life where you had nothing left to prove. You, you, you were doing this for yourself from now on. Well, I think I, I, that might have been literal in the fact that I was lifting Kanzai Yamamoto so much that I was um, quoting him so much in my shows. Um, I think that's why I said that, that I have nothing to lose. But I meant that because um, at this point, I've kind of established what I do and who I am. And um, I, I don't think I'm really going to be accused of, of, of being somebody who rips people off that much um, anymore. Whereas earlier, you know, I, I, I might have been. Um, so, where did you rip off? Uh, huh? off? Well, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been possible without all of, without a lot of designers before me. I mean, there's a lot of designers that obviously, um, well, you know, I'm not going to give a list of names. But <laughs> <laughs> you can say Charles James, for example, because he's not here anymore. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, let's talk about Viennet and Madame Gray and Fortune. I mean, all of those guys, I, I, totally, I totally ripped them off and I still do. Um, 
But I mean, you know, I've always said that like creation is is really usually a, a composition of things that have come before. It's just a personal composition of of of, of uh, and that's your invention. Your composition is is your invention. I mean, everything. I mean, BNA was copying um, Roman ant antiquity, and um, God knows what Charles James was was copying like chips or something. I mean, his, his stuff was so architectural. And was I answering something? No, I, I was. Just, we were talking about how you said you had nothing. You had you had nothing. You uh, right. More and that that of course makes me think about. We've talked about legacy and your. You know, it's so interesting that legacy is always people. People get sort of antsy when you ask them about legacy because they think that you're talking to them about being irrelevant or something. And I loved that you, you, you had that incredible exhibition in Milan, which was, I, I just imagine somebody who'd never heard of you walking into that show and just feeling like they had walked into a sort of a civilization that was pre-human, post-human or something. But you even called the show subhuman, inhuman, and superhuman. And do you feel that that's the kind of arc of your of your world? Um, I, I don't. I think it's it's not an arc, really. It's it's a cycle that keeps repeating itself. I think, and I think it applies to all of us. I think we all feel there's. We all have moments of self-loathing and shame, um, and then we all are capable of cruelty um, and of bad behavior. And we, um, and then there are moments where we can rise above it and learn from all of that and become um, better people. So I think that, that kind of, that um, title just kind of apply to the human con condition um and things that were and that's kind of been my message all along i think i mean i hope it's that um uh self-forgiveness has been a, a big part of, of what i've i've tried to try to get across um because we've all felt inadequate and um subhuman and we've overcorrected um, and we have um, overdone it sometimes. And at, at the end, you're hoping you kind of reach a balance where you kind of understand what your flaws are and how to work with them and how to um, make yourself better and how to do your best. And that's all you can do. That's the best you can do. Um, so that's, that's what that title was kind of suggesting um that cycle you think superhuman is the state of serenity that no actually i don't i think superhuman kind of suggests something kind of more chilly more cold more um super controlled which isn't um which is appealing which is 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 sexy but um it, it's not realistic it's not realistic um and it the idea of super, of being superhuman has been um, 
a great source of conflict over the years. I mean, idealism that just that just um, becomes fascism. I mean, that's that's um, a cycle that we've seen over and over again. But if somebody said to you, um, Rick, I'm going to give you the power of immortality, what would you say? If some superhuman. Yeah, sure, I'd take it. Would you, be <laughs> would you be immortal if you could be? Um, wouldn't anybody? I mean, that's that's kind of that's kind of the urge that makes that moves us forward. That's that's what that's what motive. Well, maybe it's not. No, it's death that moves us forward. That's true. Um, the fact that the urge to leave our mark before we're gone. Um, maybe immortality would just um, let you relax and enjoy things. I, um, I'm not sure. But it, I, I find, you know, because we get so wrapped up in our own little worlds, and I think that's one of the great flaws of our time, as you said at the beginning, we haven't had those enormous, well, until now, we haven't had those enormous challenges like world wars and plagues, and, and our, our society has been able to form itself in a fairly sort of, well, savagely flawed, but, but um, I, 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 did, I'm always, I always wonder what the future will make of, of this time. You know, in 500 years, if, 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 if there's anyone left to analyze what, what we were doing, what do you think people would be saying? Well, there's such heightened sensitivity. Um, I, I, um, you once said you looked forward to being uh, an obscure figure who was rediscovered in the future. <laughs> yeah, I always, I always wanted to be an exotic fashion footnote. That's, <laughs> that's my, that was my goal. Are you disappointed? <laughs> Um, I think I, you know, I think some of the people that I think some of the people that have, were interested in me are. I think I, I've, I've um, I think I might have come off as a sellout to a lot of people just for the fact that I lasted this long. I mean, and you were successful. <laughs> yeah, that that uh, that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just a little. I wonder if this, this, this heightened, this, this excruciating sensitivity and squeamishness is going to reach some kind of fever pitch and kind of just collapse. I'm kind of, I'm hoping, I'm hoping so because it's not very realistic. Um, idealism is great, but. Um, um, there's a lot of malice out there <clears throat> that concerns me. Well, you, you did say that um, evil is ever present. You know, that, that evil is, in a, in a strange way, evil is uh, the whip that makes good better, you know? I guess vice versa as well. But good is the whip that makes evil worse. But. Yeah. E there seems to be some sense, some kind of purpose for for evil, um, and and um, I don't know if that's being fatalistic or realistic. Pragmatic. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I remember, I remember one time my dad told me, I, don't, I can't remember, I was in a fuss about something. And he told me, Richard, life isn't fair. And I remember, <laughs> I remember just turning red and boiling um, and with fury um, that, that, my, that my condition was dismissed like that. Um, now I get it. Um, and I think about it a lot. But do, are you talking about responsibility? In a sense, you feel like you're, you're, you feel like you're in a place where it's your role to write those injustices in a way that you're no, in a I don't think, I don't think I'm going to write them, but I really think that I need to perform, per, to be some kind of ballast. I need to balance it out. I need to, um, and, and maybe balance it out sometimes in kind of flamboyant, transgressive way, maybe in kind of an extreme way, just because uh, um, uh, that's the best we can do. We can just kind of, we're not gonna cure it, but we can, we can balance it out. It's a matter of degrees. Um, so I do feel a sense of responsibility. I mean, you know, when I do a video like Butt Muscle, um that is in theory transgressive i feel like i feel like it's creating it, it's a i feel like it's a responsible balance to um to bigotry and um and cruelty on on uh in the other direction well christine is an icon i mean you she is an icon of something maybe a saint yeah, a saint, Saint Christine. I I, I agree with that. I, you know, you you when when you got in touch with your Mexican heritage, your mother being Mexican, you you did, you did collections that paid uh, that saluted her heritage. What response did you get to those? Did you did you have people, uh, especially from her, did you get a response from her community in in Mexico? Did people feel that that was a that was a useful statement for you to be making? Um, not really, but I'm not really, I'm not, um, I, I suppose I'm not somebody that, I, I don't really go out there and, and solicit, solicit responses or um, kind of my only engagement is through is through my clothes. I don't really, have conversations about I, I didn't I didn't really get a response but I don't I'm not I didn't need one mm. um, just the act of doing it I felt was just putting the right energy out there and um, yeah I, I didn't I wasn't really looking for one or didn't need one or I'm sure it was out there. I'm sure. I'm sure there was appreciation for it. I mean, there were those uh, collections like that one, like the stepping collection, um, where you're in, where you're really engaged with a very specific community. I, I, I'm always curious when I walk away from shows like that. I am curious. I'm not just saying I'm always curious. I actually am curious about whether you surprise yourself. You know, when you when you go home after a first night, as it were and you're, you've surprised yourself with what you've done. Well, I, I surprised myself that I pulled it off. Um, 
uh, because sometimes they're tricky and, and, and sometimes they're, uh, they could go either way. There's some, sometimes they're, um, but I've always felt that uh, everything that I put out there was um, put out with enough positive energy that they, it would be hard for them to be misconstrued. But I don't know. I mean, in this day and age, things could be misconstrued really easily. So I probably, it would be hard for me to take risks like that again. Um, and that's kind of a shame. I've thought about that. Um, um, I don't know. I don't know if that's true forever. Um, but I, I, I feel that that's kind of the lesson that I've learned in the, in the past um, year. Um, but that could change. I'm not really sure. Um, Do you think you were ever nihilistic? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, in, you know, in my earlier years, I was, I was, I was, um, yeah. Um, immersed in doom, wallowing in it. Um, but fundamentally, I realize I'm not. Fundamentally, I realize I'm all about hope and I'm all about the pursuit of good. And when I think back on everything that I've been doing, it re I, I, I feel like I was able to do um beautiful things but i was also able to talk about values that i believed in that i think a lot of people share and i mean apparently they do because it, it, it kind of worked people have responded um so yeah i'm not nihilistic at all apparently you know um the, the you you've always been so vocal about the artists the other the creators that you love um the architects, the filmmakers, the painters, and and we're all terribly flawed. Yeah, flawed. But but also there's this another there's another interesting arc. I wonder if you can see yourself in that. The sort of transgression to redemption. Whether you see that in yourself. That if if you look at the last shows versus the shows that I was seeing ten or fifteen years ago, maybe longer even. Um, whether you can feel that in yourself that you've 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 actually come out of the darkness into the light just in time for I, a um i don't know I, I i feel like i have almost more energy than i did then and almost more of a sense of, a sense of responsibility to to um um battle bigotry, the bigotry that I see happening right now. Um, I feel, I, I feel like this, this period of um, resetting and um, reflection, enforced reflection, um, has just recharged me. Um, when you say redemption, I think, I think, I'm thinking responsibility. I feel like that I feel more than ever um, that uh, that there I keep repeating bigotry, but it's such an all-encompassing word and it, it applies to um, just such a, a broad range of things that, that frustrate me. Um, and I feel that I have more power at my disposal to 
and more visibility to to oppose that and it's my responsibility to use it um i'm not exactly sure how how but uh, but yeah i was just going to ask how do you feel your recharge will manifest itself in your work yeah i i it's it's hard to say but um i've trusted my gut for the past 20 years and my gut is feeling raring to go so um and you know you know stuff comes up and i'm always a little surprised but um but here's hoping that that um that there's some there's still some ideas there well, I have one last question for you. Um, in the light of what you just said, you've described yourself as the Dolly Parton of fashion and, <laughs> and the Iggy Pop of fashion. So right. who are we today? Um, God, I'm, I'm, who am I? Who, like a beach bum. I'm just, I'm, I'm Pop, just a beach Dolly guy. Pop. Huh? Dolly Pop. Dolly Pop. Yeah. Um, Iggy Parton, Dolly Pop, Iggy Parton. Yeah. Thank you, Rick. So it's so lovely to talk to you and I'm really sorry we couldn't do it in person, but hopefully well, again. Looking forward to when we can and it'll it's it's coming up. And um, again, um, you're one of the best parts of fashion team. You really are. And well, I think a lot of people thank, thank, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis, regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O- L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.